Good morning. I'm going to ask the guys in the back to turn that down a little bit. I have a stronger voice than Tom, and I tend to yell a lot, so if you've come here this morning hoping to nap, I apologize. It's not what's going to happen. Well, it's good to be with you again, church. I had a look up when the last time it was I was here. It's almost a year, and a lot has changed. You guys have got different lights in the ceiling. People have gotten a little older. Wasn't as much laughter with that one. And a lot has changed in your eldership. It's a great delight to be here this morning to open up God's Word, and it's also a delight to see your church flourishing and continue to grow. I and my church pray for you guys often. Now, I know I'm the only one that seems to ever show up, but we do pray for you. I have a fondness in my heart for all of you, every single one. Some of you I don't know because you're new. So my name's Merv Campbell. I am Irish, but I live in Placerville. And I attend Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Placerville. And from there, I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, uh, about a month ago, you had a little Scottish guy come. And he gave a long introduction so you could get along with his accent. I'm going to do the same. But we're here. We're here to worship our great God. We've already read Mark chapter 1. When you come to a different church, it's hard to know what to preach. And this is what I began in my own church back home. So if I say names that are different, forgive me. I have tried to go through it and change it to your guys' congregation. But I wanted to bring you Mark chapter 1. In the days that we live in, we need to hear these first eight verses and what they truly mean. We live in a day with clamoring voices, with people who are weak, people who are not living the Christian life as they should. And the first eight verses of Mark gives us hope, hope and praise. And I'm glad Brett's not here this morning because I'm going to preach about him. <laughs> and I hope he listens to this afterwards. Maybe not, actually. I may get a phone call. But this goes for us all. This is a passage of scripture that should encourage our hearts, but for me, it challenged me more than it encouraged. But afterwards, when you take a step back and you see all that Christ has done, what better place can we be this morning in God's house worshiping him? So before we come to open up this word, let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and come before his holy throne. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. We thank you for this one day in seven where we can come and worship and praise you, our great and glorious God. We thank you that you're a God who indeed is holy, a God who indeed is just, but a God who is full of mercy and a God who is full of love. And this morning, even as we've just sung, your mercies are new each and every day. And this morning, as we come around your word, we pray that our hearts would be enlightened once again. We pray for those, perhaps, whose Christian walk is that smoldering flax. We pray this morning that the words that we bring forth would enrage our hearts with passion and a desire to serve and to worship and to proclaim your truth, not only in this place, but everywhere where you have placed us as believers as salt and light in this earth. We thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. We pray that I may decrease and you may increase and your words may encourage your people here and that through it all that your name would be glorified and honored in all that we say and all that we do for we ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. 
Matthew begins his gospel by sharing the genealogy of Jesus. It's that passage of scripture that as a kid, no one ever volunteered to read because it was full of hard and difficult names. He feels the need to prove that Jesus indeed is the son of Abraham and the son of David. Luke begins his epistle by leading up to the events of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And John, as you know, starts his gospel out in eternity past, reminding us that Jesus is God in the flesh, manifest here on earth. Mark doesn't start out by talking about the Lord's heritage or his birth. No, Mark's desire is to present Jesus as a servant. And a servant doesn't need a genealogy. And Mark begins his, uh, his epistle or his gospel here, jumping right into the action. Mark's first sentence serves as a title for the whole book. And it serves to plunge us immediately into the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark, in days to come or verses to come, is going to share with his readers that good news concerning who Jesus is and what he did while he was here. Mark calls the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He kneels his colors to the mast, as it were, right in the very first verse. The name Jesus is that Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is his human name and it reveals the reason why Jesus came into the world. And thank goodness he did. Because Jesus came into this world to save who? Lost sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. We read that in Matthew 1 and in Luke 19. The name Jesus declares his person. But he also goes further. He calls him Christ. This identifies Jesus as the Messiah or that anointed one. And that name Christ declares his position. Jesus is positioned right at the very first verse as the one who will deliver his people from their enemies. And if that wasn't enough, which it should be, Mark raises the stakes even further. He goes on to call Jesus the Son of God. Mark lets us know in very clear terms that he is writing about a man. But a man who is no ordinary man. He is writing about a man who is God in the flesh. And that name, the Son of God, declares his power of who exactly he is. So that title declares for us four very important truths regarding Jesus. He's truly human. He's truly divine. He's truly unique. And indeed, he is the true source of good news. And so in that first verse, we have Mark's introduction to the book that bears his name. And although he begins with Jesus, there's a very abrupt end. He doesn't then continue to go on and delve into the life of Jesus and his ministry. 
No. Mark writes of a different man. A man who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A man whom all of us, I'm sure, have learned about in Sunday school, and I hope in sermons. And this morning, we're going to take a few moments to look at the life and ministry of John the Baptist. The one who the Old Testament spoke of in various places. But before we move on any further, I want to ask you all a question. This is probably where I should lean into the mic and get really loud, but I won't. In case you're deaf or whatever. Your hearing aids are up. Do you believe these things? Do you believe the things that we read off in Scripture? Some might say, of course I do. But it's something that in our own Sunday school back up the road in Placerville, we stress each and every week to the children. John the Baptist was a real man. He breathed just like you do. He has hair just like you do. Some. But he was a man. And he breathed. And he ate weird things. Wore weird clothes. But he was a person just like you and just like me. And sometimes as we read our Bibles, these things don't really sink in like they should do. We read them and we go, yeah, I get it. But this man walked and talked just like you and I. This man loved the Lord Jesus Christ just like some of you do here this morning. And this morning as we go through this passage, I want, to, I want you to think this way. That this man walked and talked and ate and did the work of the Lord just like you and I. There's a but. And it's that but that we have to look at this morning. This is not some fairy tale. The words that we read off are not some fable. This man died in the end for his faith. But he had something that I know I lacked before I read this and studied it. And that was courage. I began this morning by saying we live in dark and difficult and hard days. Brothers and sisters, we need to be more like Christ, first of all, yes. But then we need to be like John the Baptist. And so this morning, to get to the end of that statement that I've just said, that we need to be like him, we need to learn four truths about this man. For those of you who are taking notes, there are four points. We have John and his mandate, John and his methods, John and his manner, and John and his message. So it's mandate, methods, manner, message, four M's. So first of all, John and his mandate. In ancient times, 
Kings often send people ahead of them to prepare the way for their coming. And that forerunner had two primary duties. First, he was to make sure that the roads were passable. It's a bit like me this morning sitting in my house. I hit the maps to make sure that I wasn't going to be late. And lo and behold, I had roadworks coming into Roseville. So I was glad I left a little bit earlier. But that, that runner was to go before and make sure that the roads were passable, that there was to be no delays when the king passed through. He was to have clear, open route through the kingdom. Second, that forerunner was to let the people know that the king was coming. He was to go along the route before the king came through and he was to tell people, get ready, they're coming. Now as a Brit, I'm Irish but I'm also British, work that one out. But as a Brit, if the queen was to come, I would hope that I would have fair, fair warning. Could go get my hair cut, maybe get a new shirt or something and look my best. But the forerunner was to be that person who told that the king was coming. And not only that the king was coming, get ready. They're on their way. And John the Baptist fulfilled both of these duties seen in that ancient forerunner. He came to this world with a divine mission. John was given that heavenly mandate, which he fulfilled when he was here. But what was John's mandate? Well, John was to fulfill two important Old Testament prophecies that we read off there in Mark. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then Malachi 3, 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. It involved two things, preparation and proclamation. John cleared the way for the coming of the Lord by appealing directly to the people. He spoke to them. He told them that the king was coming. You have to take yourself back, as it were, into those days and think of the man, the common man, like you and me. Sorry to burst your bubble if you think you're something more, but we're common people. And the common man in those days, the Jewish leaders had totally forgotten. They were treated like the scum of the earth. They were treated like the dirt on people's shoes. And yet God, John, came preaching to who? The common man. And he called on them to repent because the Lord, the king, was coming to deliver his people. John was a lone voice. A lone voice against the dead legalism of the Jews. He was a hard preacher in a dark day and God used him to touch that generation. John the Baptist preached during a period when the Jewish religion had become nothing more than dead orthodoxy. Legalism had ruled the day. And the Jews were in desperate need of spiritual revival. 
the Gentiles had given up on religion and viewed most religious beliefs as superstition and foolish tales. But both of these groups needed what John preached. And what did he preach? The truth. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a similar day. Many churches have abandoned the great doctrines of the Bible to preach either a message rooted in humanism or legalism. Ten steps to be a better Christian. Rub your belly, pat your head, and that's how you get to heaven. Fill in the blank, whatever you think. And there's little to no word of Christ. There's little to no word of his saving power. It's all about you. How do you feel? How are you getting on? Oh, you'll be okay. And sadly, people in many, many congregations are never challenged regarding their sins or perhaps the other way. They're beaten down with the word and they think there is nothing for them. Brother, can I commend you this morning for reading Psalms? For reading how Christ has forgiven our sins and he has moved it away from us. You see, there is a great need in our day for men to stand up, to open their Bibles, to open their mouths and preach the word of God. That's it. Jesus is coming again. He's already came the first time. And you're hearing his message now. But he is coming again. And he's not coming with good news. He's coming with judgment. Are we ready for his return? Perhaps some of us will never see his return. Perhaps death will come to us before that. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account of your life? Where are the forerunners today? Those men who are preparing the way of the Lord and proclaiming His return, where are they? Preachers, Sunday school teachers, fathers, mothers. Our mandate is the same as the one that John the Baptist received. We're to preach and teach and instruct our children what? The word of God. You sitting there. That's why I'm glad Brett's not here. This is about him. And it's about me too. You're to hold whoever stands in this pulpit accountable. That's your job. Perhaps you don't like how we dress. I'm not a fan of this tie. My wife told me to put it on. Just putting that out there. But... It's, it wouldn't be what I chose. It's okay. Perhaps you don't like an Irish accent. You'd rather have a Scottish one. We'll talk later. But all joking aside, that's not where you're to keep me accountable. As he ever stands here, and he ever opens up God's word, preaching to you the whole counsel of God. If they don't, then grab them by their shirt collar, march them off the stage, and kick them out that back door. 
The church in our day needs to be awakened up to these things. So many people are enamored by the man who stands at the front. How he looks, how he dresses, how he can articulate the word of God. It doesn't matter. We need men who will tell us the truth. Men who will open up God's word, leave their egos at the side, leave their personal vendettas at the side, and only preach Christ. That is what we need and nothing more. So whoever stands in this pulpit, whoever opens up God's word, needs to bring before the people the whole counsel of God. Nothing more. Secondly, John and his methods. Sorry, I brought my huge flask today. It's not. John and his methods. There are certain people I'd like to meet in heaven. First of all is Joseph of Arimathea. If you don't know that, I preached it here four years ago, possibly. You can go back and maybe look it up. But Joseph of Arimathea is first. Second of all, actually third, first of all is Christ. Sorry, I got that order wrong. It's Christ, Joseph of Arimathea, and now this. John. Why? John was a preacher. He came telling men of, of the need of repentance. His message was a message of confrontation. John came confronting sin and calling people to repent. Brothers and sisters, we need to take ourselves out of these gray seats, go back a couple of thousand years, and drop in. To do this, he would have been the most hated man in all of the land. Because he was telling them that that word repentance was to be a change of mind that resulted in a change of action. The people had sinned. What does John tell them to do? Repent. Repent from your sins. John was calling on them to repent of their sins to clean up their lives and prepare for the way of the Lord. He was saying, the Lord is coming, the Savior is coming. Straighten up your crooked hearts. You need to get your heart prepared for the coming of the Lord. His message was also one of change. John told the people that their repentance would result in what? The remission of sins. That word remission means forgiveness or pardon from sins as though they had never happened. God would forgive these people. God would take their sins as far as the east is from the west. That it would be plunged into that lake of forgiveness that they would never see them again. And that's the message that we need in our world today. Where are those faithful men who are preaching about repentance and remission of sins? Most preachers are too busy stroking people's egos and tickling their ears. They're too busy building their crowds and their own religious empires and sadly even their bank balance. 
We need men in our day to stand up and lift their voices and thunder right against sin. We need men who will not allow position or prestige or prosperity or population stand between them and the proclamation of God's truth. We need preachers who will tell people the truth. I'm not a full-time pastor, so I can say this next sentence. But put yourself in one of these. How hard it is to preach the truth to people who determine what kind of house you can buy or what kind of car you can drive or how much money they give you each month. It's not easy. But people need to know that the only way to heaven is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. You young people, Saving, it's saving faith alone, not something plus. That's it. People need to know in our day that sin will take you to hell. When was the last time you heard a sermon about hell? It's spoken of more in the Bible than heaven. That there is a real hell. That's why I asked you at the beginning, do you believe the word of God to be true? And if you do, then hell is real. Hell is to be shunned and heaven is to be gained, the saying goes. People need to know that God looks for a repentant heart, for a changed lives. Brothers and sisters, people need to know the truth. Not only in this place, but outside those doors. Praise God that people still want to hear the truth. You guys are in that category. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning. Because this is a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. And these people want to be fed. And you want to be built up in your faith. That's why coming to these meetings are so important. Oh, how easy it is to lie in your bed on a Sunday morning. Okay, I can speak from experience. I don't know any of you, but this morning, how easy it would have been with my nice cup of coffee, lying in bed, just enjoying the nice sun rays coming in and go, I don't need to go to church. Just read my Bible. We need to be with God's people in God's house Worshipping the one true and loving God together. That is why you sitting down there for all your worth fight tooth and nail for unity, for love, and for growth with one another. Encourage one another. Do you have a disagreement with someone? Pray for them. It won't be too long until that disagreement goes away. Read the Bible with each other. You older saints, get with the young people. This is my pet peeve as we have this sort of division. It's like the Red Sea's parted. The old people are on one side, the young people are on the other. Well, I'm going to be the person that removes the middle part, brings you all together. There is nothing greater than to see an older person coming alongside a younger person and simply asking, hey, how you doing? That's all you got to do. 
I'm young. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. You, exactly, yep. We're together. I remember as a young lad, I want to say 18, 19, 20. Do you know who my best friend at church was? 85-year-old man. Why? Because he looked me in the eye every Sunday and he asked me with a, with a heartfelt heart of love, how you doing, Murph? How was your week? And it wasn't just a, hey, how you doing and moving on. He actually stopped and listened to the answer. So if you're over the age of, you fill in the blank, because I'm not going to do it in case I get lynched. Get with the young people. You young people. I'm looking at you, trying to find you all. Some are in the back room, but some are still out here. Don't be afraid to talk to older people. Tell them the truth. Tell them how you're doing, honestly. Because remember what? If you learn your catechism, God's everywhere. God sees all things and knows all things, and he knows your heart. So he knows if you're telling the truth or not. But we need to be a united church. We need to have people out there who will tell us the truth in love. Please do not go up to someone and go, you've got this problem. No, because I guarantee you have a, remember what the Bible says? A huge log hanging out of your own. But encourage one another. You guys are in exciting and unchanging days. Keep your focus on Christ. Keep your focus on the word. But also keep your focus on one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. He's not here. Pray for Brett. You guys are not easy. Why? Because I'm not. I'm a sinner too. We all have our quirks. I've got so many. Being a foreigner in a different land, there's a lot. But pray for him. He loves you guys already. He really does. Just as I do. I was like, man, what a guy. You got a good one in Brad. He's a good shepherd and a good faithful man. But can I encourage you, pray for him. It's not easy to stand up here and tell people that they're sinning. To tell people that perhaps they're doing something wrong or change things. That's not easy. That's very difficult. You see, we need people like John the Baptist. We need men who will stand for the truth no matter what the cost. He tells you something you don't like, you can kick him out. Please don't. But that's what, that's what he's under in his mind. So pray for him. Pray for one another. Be united together in the word of God. Many times in that room over there and even in the room that we have up in Placerville, we'll pray before the meeting. You guys do it slightly different where whoever service leading will pray. But sometimes when we pray, you'll hear that fear in our voice, those of us who are preaching. Why? Because we know it's a difficult passage. Even this morning, driving down here, sick to the pit of my stomach. Why? Because I have to tell you the truth. And some people don't like to hear the truth. And walking in here, you feel those, those it's not butterflies, it's something else. 
And yet, why do we do it? Why do we stand here and tell you the truth? Well, first of all, it's because we have a greater fear of God than of you. And second of all, it's because we love you. You need a faithful man who will love your soul more than your friendship, who will tell you the truth in love. That is a friend, a true friend, and that is a true shepherd. So pray for us. I don't really know you guys. Some of you know a lot better. But I don't know your personal circumstances. And to be quite honest, I don't need to. Why? Because when I open up God's word, it's God's words, not mine. That's why when we pray that we would decrease and Christ would increase, that's what we mean. That our personal opinions and our personal thoughts would stay over there out of the way. And when we get up here, it would only be that true loving word. But John had a practice that was weird in those days. He baptized people. John did not baptize people to make them right with God. The phrase, he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, did not mean that the people were being baptized to have their sins forgiven. No, they were being baptized because their sins had been forgiven. That's the whole point. They went to John and were immersed into the River Jordan to declare publicly before everyone, before anyone who could see with their eyes that their lives had been changed, their sins had been forgiven, and now they were walking with the Lord. They were baptized to give the glory to God who had forgiven their sins. Baptism was a change of life for these people. And that's still what baptism represents. People are not baptized to be saved. They're baptized because they have been saved. Baptism is that picture. I know it's a sweet picture of a person going onto that water and dying to the old life of sin and rising again to that life of holiness. So let me ask some of you this morning, some who confess Christ, what hinders you from baptism? Some of you older teens and young adults, what hinders you from baptism? You say you're a believer, what hinders you? What hinders you from church membership, something that's so important? Can I urge you this morning, remember what I said about older people and younger people? This is how you put it into practice. If you've got questions, seek out some older person. Someone who's been a member here for a while. Seek out the pastors. Talk to them. We need to be in a faithful church. We need to see the importance of baptism. We need to see the importance of church membership. We need one another. You can't be that lone wolf out by yourself. You need the fellowship of God's people. We're told that many of the people living in that region came to John. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. One commentator that I read estimated that as many as perhaps 300,000 people were being baptized by John and his disciples. 
these people traveled miles. They didn't just hop in a car and, you know, head over the hill. No, they traveled for miles. And they were confronted by their sins. They saw their sins and they repented. And they saw that God had forgiven them. And John preached the word of God and God honored his word. And people responded to that preaching. And these people came and it says that they confessed their sins and they were baptized. There's always a but. Not everyone was happy. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to see what all the fuss was about. And they came to criticize John and his message. Why? They didn't like that truth. And when he saw them coming, he rebuked them for their hypocrisy and he called on them to repent. Those words in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. But they refused. They refused John's plea and they continued in their sins. We too are living in hard days spiritually. There's a tend towards that seeker friendly or that feel good religion. Preachers who call sin, sin and iniquity, iniquity are getting fewer and fewer by the day. But we're still operating in a time when God will bless his word. Isaiah 55, 11 reminds us that if his word is preached as it is written, that God will indeed honor that word. So this morning, don't despair. Don't despair if Veritas isn't like the church down the road. Don't worry when perhaps they called you old-fashioned and out of step. They make fun of our preaching, our singing, our worship. God still meets with us. God is still the God who meets with his faithful people. And that was you this morning. Do you believe that? As we sung those hymns and those songs, as our brother led us in prayer, as we get read God's word together, as his word is now as expounded, God is meeting with his people here. And every now and then he will pass by and bring with him that fragrance of glory. Every now and then he'll speak to a lost soul and they'll come to Christ and be saved. And every so often he'll call that wayward sinner to repentance. God is still working. He's still honoring his word. Therefore, we, all of us together, here, up the road in Placerville, down at IBC, further down in Stockton, we need to be honoring God's word. We need to be staying the course. And we need to carry on, brothers and sisters, until he comes. Either he comes or we go. We need to continue to fight that good fight.
And so thirdly, we're going to learn of John and his manner. Verse 6. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. John didn't wear the finest of robes that adorned the bodies of those Pharisees and Sadducees. He certainly did not gravitate towards those finer things in life. He wasn't into his Prada and his Gucci and all the rest. That's the only two I know of. <laughs> hey, I shop at Goodwill. Such a boutique. His clothing was as rough as his message. He was a man of the desert, and he dressed like a man of the desert. He was totally out of step with fashion. Think of his food. He shunned the finest food of the palaces, and he favored the foods of a desert dweller. He got honey from the rocks and locusts. He was a common man who didn't seek after the allurements or the attractions of this world. And as a side note, his diet was indeed balanced. Locusts are protein, and honey is carbohydrates. John was a balanced man who was satisfied with the basics of life. You ever touched a camel? Oh, no thanks. John did. He wore it. He threw a belt around his waist, and he preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't need a Tesla. He didn't need a fine suit. He didn't need the finest of shoes. We're going to find out he also didn't need a barber. John was a rough and ready man, but a man who could preach the word of God. Imagine how this man must have appeared to the people who saw him. Luke 1.15 tells us that he was a Nazarite. That means that his hair and his beard had never been trimmed. Nazarites often carried their beards in sacks around their waist to avoid stepping on it. So think how long that was. And their hair was braided into seven braids and it hung down their backs, touching the ground. Picture that in your mind. You got it? Imagine he walked in that door and he stood up here to preach. How would you react? John, in his rough and ready and, let's be honest, not very good looking manner, stepped out of the wilderness dressed in rough garments of a prophet and he came to the people of Israel with the same spirit of confrontation that dwelt in Elijah many years before. He preached with power. Now can you imagine if such a preacher who could preach so well and yet in his day, he was never invited to the temple or the synagogue to open up God's word. They had no use for a man like him. They didn't want to be confronted. They didn't want their little apple cart, as it were, to be upset. They didn't want some weirdo, as we think of him, to destroy their religious empire that they had constructed. John came with a strange appearance. He came with a strong message. He was out of step in his times, but he was with God, and God was with him. And God used John the Baptist in an amazing way to carry out a powerful ministry. 
And if we were to take John as an example of, for us today, what would he teach us? It should teach us that we don't have to fit in with this world. He can teach us that it's actually all right to be different. We can dress different. We can talk different. We can live different. It doesn't mean that we're weird. It simply means that we have a desire to walk with the Lord and honor Him. We're called not to live as the world lives. We're to live in the world, but not off the world. Do you know it's okay to go to church? In some places that's really weird to say. But it's actually okay to go to church. It's okay to pay your tithes. It's okay to go to Sunday school. It's actually okay to pray and to read and to come and have God's word opened. It's okay to be different. Why? Because God has commanded us to be different. If we were to go around and walk and talk and look and act just like the world did, are we truly being salt and light where God has placed us? We're to be in the world, but not off the world. The world should never force us into its mold. We should break that mold and we should want to be conformed to who? The image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, and especially you young people. I wished I had to hear this when I was 15, 16. Never, ever be ashamed of who you are. If you believe in Christ, never be ashamed of that. And never be ashamed of who you are not. We're to walk and talk and act like believers. Not like the world, but like Christ's followers. It's okay to be different. We should be different. We should act and speak and talk different in the world. You're called to be salt and light. Are you? Am I? Is this church being that light set on a hill whose cannot be hid? Or does it need a little bit of a clean? My life does all the time. There are times when Christ's name is taken and I say nothing. There are times when I watch my television and two men or two women begin kissing each other and what do I do? I just keep watching. There are times, even in the days that we live in a few days ago, when the whole abortion kicks off and left and right are fighting against each other and we sit in silence. We need to turn off our TVs when we see those things. We need to run. When Christ's name is taken as a swear word, we should stand up for it. When the murdering of innocent babies happened, we need to stand till our feet. 
John the Baptist stood as a lone man preaching the whole counsel of God. We need to do the same. You see, fourthly, John in his message, John didn't preach to build up his name. He didn't preach to build up his reputation. No one standing in this pulpit should do the same. I don't do and come here to tickle your ears and get to see you all. No, I do it because I want to open up God's word and encourage your hearts and challenge you perhaps. You see, John the Baptist was a bold preacher. He thundered out against sin and called for people to repent. But when John started to speak about Christ, what did he do? He became a humble preacher. He tells the people who heard him preach that compared to the one who was coming, he was a nobody. He tells them that he isn't even worthy to do the job of the lowest household slave. He couldn't even tie his sandal straps. When John, the most powerful preacher in his day, looked at Christ, he looked at himself as worthless. John says, I am nothing, but he is everything. I didn't call people to believe in John. No, I called them to believe in Christ. And that's a humility that is so lacking in these days. Men preach and teach because they want the praise. They stand at the back door and take all the accolades. It's okay to thank your preachers when they preach. You should do it. You should thank them. Brett's not going to like this, but don't praise them. Praise the one who they talked about. It's not about Brett. It's not about Merv. It's not about Tom or Greg or my friend Casanelli over there. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Christ is to get all the glory. Not us. When John saw Jesus, he saw that John was nothing and Jesus was everything. That's why John took a step to the side and Jesus came forward and proclaimed the truth. John knew that if people could just see Jesus, who he was, that they would see who they really were. Worthless sinners who needed him. That they would need Jesus Christ and what he came to do. That he would be their Savior and their Lord and their God. John pointed man to Christ and not himself. If people could ever see Jesus and open their eyes and see what he has done, they would come and fall on their knees and surrender to him. Is that you this morning? Do you need to come to the foot of the cross and see Christ no longer there? But he died and he went in a tomb and he rose again for who? For you if you're a sinner. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save souls. I can't. 
No one in this room can. If you're a young person, your parents can't save you. Only God. And not through the saving work of Jesus Christ. But how? Think of that Philippian jailer. Earthquake hit. Knew he needed Christ. Knew he needed to be saved. What did he say? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, not, well, you know, go on your feelings. If you feel like it, really good. Hop on one leg and do many star jumps. Follow these ten steps. No. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you what? You will be saved. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all of Christ. And so to conclude... The message John the Baptist preached was an unusual message. He didn't preach to gain the favor of men. He didn't preach to grow a great ministry of YouTube followers or Facebook likes or Instagram hits. No. He didn't preach to attract a crowd. He preached a simple message about a wonderful Savior named the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached a message about the needs of the people to deal honestly with their sins. He preached a message to those people who needed to hear. And he preached a message that we need to hear. Repent. Has the Lord spoken to you this morning through this word? Do you see the sense and the need to come to Christ and be cleansed from your sins? If so, do it. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, because you know what? And you could be dead. Hell is real, but so is heaven. Christ was a real person at a real time who came to save people from their sins. Is that you? Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you're like pilgrim and you've threw your leg over that sty and you're nearly walking down bypath meadows. This morning I urge and plead that someone, something would grab you by the neck and pull you back. Perhaps it's a brother or sister sitting here who would like to read or pray with you and you've, you've put them off. Hey, would you like to get together? No, I'm busy. Don't. Welcome it. Embrace it. Don't run away. Run into Christ and those who he uses. Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking of your celebrity preacher. The one who you listen to and no matter what they say, you take it as truth. Can I urge you this morning, brothers and sisters, be like the Bereans. 
Go and test the scriptures for what it says. In these days, brothers and sisters, we need to stand up for Christ. We need to stand up for truth. We need to stand up for repentance from sins. In 1859, a young man stood up and preached a sermon that caused such a stirring up of men's souls that almost a thousand men during that sermon gave their lives to Christ. And the preacher, in a simple, clear way, said, I must tell my master's errand. I must tell others of Christ. Less than two weeks later, that man would be dead. While operating a thrasher out in a field, his arm got caught. And he lost his arm, and sadly, due to infection, he died. But before he did, while he was surrounded by his family, and while he was taking his final breaths, he reached his hand out to his two sons, and he looked them in the eye. And he said, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Tell others of his saving power, no matter the cost, stand up. Later, his best friend, George Duffield, in his memorial service, stood up and read a poem. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army he shall lead. Till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. We need to be brave like John. We need to stand for our Savior, no matter what the cost, no matter what the penalty. But we can't do it in our own strength. So let's bow our heads now and come and pray to the only one who can help us. Let's come to our great God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, what a challenge it is to our souls to think of our day that we live in and how quiet we are, how silent at times we are. Dear Lord, we pray that we would be more like John in these days, that we would see Christ in all of his glory and we would proclaim that truth, that we would be faithful one to another, that we would seek repentance from sins. That we would encourage one another in our walks. That we would pray and edify one another as we walk this pilgrim way. Lord, we plead this morning for those who know you not. Lord, bring salvation to this place like they've never seen it before. We pray like the psalmist with tears in our eyes with a longing in our hearts that you would save the lost. That you would show them that the end, that hell indeed is a real place, but yet heaven is more glorious. We pray that you would save their souls, that you would change that heart of stone and give them that heart of flesh. Dear Lord, be with us throughout the rest of this week. Give us courage like only you can to proclaim your truth. And may we all indeed stand up for, stand up for Jesus 
and be soldiers of your cross. These things we ask in and through Christ's name. Amen.